0: And we welcome you to the Wednesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. And in part one of today's morning show, I am very excited to be able to talk about yet another secret garden walk here in Kenosha presented by the Four Seasons Garden Club. And Linda Guy, uh, with longtime connections to WGTD, is here as she uh, uh, always is to be kind of our tour guide for the uh, Gardens that are going to be part of this year's walk—seven different uh, private gardens in the Kenosha area—and the Garden Walk is occurring uh, this Saturday, July thirteenth. And it looks right now like it's going to be a mostly sunny day, according to the weather forecast right in front of me. So, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so Linda Guy is happy about that, as are uh, everyone who wants to uh, take in uh, the garden. And we have a, a kind of a special uh, added topic to talk about today. Uh, The bonus garden on this year's Secret Garden Walk is actually uh, a garden that's not secret at all. Uh, We're talking actually about Chewaukie Prairie, which, of course, uh, uh, is a beautiful uh, native garden. And Pam Holy is with us. She is president of the Chewaukie Prairie Preservation Fund. And uh, we'll uh, be finding out a little bit about how the Chewaukie Prairie figures into this year's uh, uh, private uh, Secret Garden Walk. So, Linda Guy and Pam Holy, we welcome both of you to the morning show. Thank
1: you, Greg. Thank you.
0: Pleasure to, to be here. Good to have both of you here. Linda, we've talked before. I don't think we need to go into this in a, a lot of thorough detail, but maybe you can just briefly summarize kind of the process by which the secret garden walk each year takes shape. I mean, who, who sits around the table and what kind of conversations <laughs> ensue in terms of putting that particular year's uh, secret garden walk together.
2: Oh, you don't you don't want to hear all the dirty details behind the scene, <laughs> I'm sure. Now, it uh uh it doesn't just fall fully formed from the sky. Uh this is this is the work of uh of a of a very busy committee. We have uh co-chairs this year, then that's Actually, they've, they've co-chaired for the last three years the same, same two, uh, two gals. Uh, and uh, uh, that's worked out very well for us because there's a lot of responsibilities that can be bounced back and forth. Uh, but um, uh, as soon as this year's Garden Walk is over, we're working on next year's Garden Walk. Uh, the biggest uh, uh, challenge immediately is finding the gardens. And we look to the uh, guests who come through uh, on this year's tour uh, to make suggestions for uh, perhaps their garden, perhaps friends or family gardens, and uh, we're very, uh, very happy to go out and take a look at, at uh, what you're offering, and uh, hopefully it's it's something that uh, it's uh, that we're going to be. Uh, uh, that we'll enjoy showing off, and you'll enjoy participating in. And uh, so the we we look at gardens uh, anywhere from the end of July through. I hate to say sometimes it goes through October, mm. and hopefully by the end of fall we've got our lineup for next year. Mm. And there there will be. Uh, occasionally, there may be changes. Things happen. Life gets in the way, and uh, we'll hope that all of those gardens will be uh, av- still available come come spring. And for the most part, they are. Uh, we look for we look for a variety. You and I have talked about that before. How this is kind of a something for everyone sort of tour. Uh, we look for old gardens, new gardens. Uh, Big gardens, small gardens, specialty gardens. Uh, This year we're pleased we have a a rose garden on the tour. Everybody loves a rose garden. We've also got a garden where uh, uh, they... The homeowner, a gentleman, has uh, has done some interesting things with hardscape and some inventive watering systems and such. Wow! So you know I, all these these things that uh, that make a make a garden special and make it interesting.
0: Something distinctive, out of the ordinary. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So this year. It sounds like you noticed that many of you, the gardens that were going to be on this tour, because you you liked them to be, to at least to some extent, uh, kind of consolidated logistically in a single, yeah. convenient. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So you're not wandering uh, <laughs> to all corners of the county. Well, uh, and but anyway, you you noticed this year that all of your gardens were relatively close to beautiful Chiwaukee Prairie, and so that prompted then. Uh, a decision to approach Chiwaki Prairie.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. These uh, um, there's there's things like this that just develop during the process. Uh, we found ourselves with uh, with three or four gardens that are very close to the prairie, uh, or absolutely, you know, back up to the to the prairie, and that uh, reminded us that uh, there are very uh very uh involved uh dedicated uh volunteers and uh pam's organization who uh, actually they have uh they've they've presented uh, and and spoken to the club a couple of different times and we uh on on our side of it uh we make uh make donations toward uh the uh, uh land purchase and what uh we've been doing that for as long as I've been a member of the club, fifty-five so there's, years. There's, wow! <laughs> you know, there's there's been a a, a a good relationship back and forth between the two organizations, and the fact that we were right in their backyard this year with the uh, with three of the uh, the homes in particular, uh, it was a, a natural to uh, say, okay, let's let's give a little mini peek into uh, chiwaukee Prairie for people who uh have heard of it never visited it this is an introduction and for those who uh uh who've enjoyed the prairie for years and and uh, know it and love it um they can you know visit for for a little bit uh, themselves we're not offering anybody a lengthy tour um but um just to just to get a little a little interest uh, generated
0: very good i think it's a wonderful idea speaking of interest uh Pam Holy, when did you first become so interested in Chiwaki Prairie and so, in a sense, invested in its preservation?
1: Well, I grew up on the south side of Kenosha, so I was aware of the dunes and the prairie young. When I came back to this area, I uh, started uh, doing the tours and volunteering out there. And very quickly got uh, uh, what do you call it, Shanghaied <laughs> <laughs> into the uh, presidency about 12 years ago. And um, since then, we've we've really moved on with our acquisition. We are now acquiring lots out there um, on our own. Previously, it was the Nature Conservancy, and more recently the DNR. Um, but we're you know there was a hiatus in in purchasing and people interested in selling because the whole of the um, Prairie actually was platted into small lots at one time, Mm. either in the 1920s or in the 1940s. So we're still working at uh, buying those back. It was over 500 parcels. We're down to uh, around 40 south of 116th and about the same number north of 116th. Wow. So,
0: so for somebody who has not uh, ever seen uh, Chiwaki Prairie, first of all, ex- explain exactly where it is located.
1: Okay. It is the Chiwaki Prairie State Natural Area at this point, which extends from the Kenosha Dunes to the state line along the lake. It runs through parts of Carroll Beach and then south of 116th, is what was originally called Chiwaki Prairie because it was named in the 1920s as Chiwaki on the lake, a combination of Chicago Kenosha, and it was supposed to be a very exclusive development with an 18-hole golf course and mansions along the lake, all of which wound up in the lake that were built except for one, uh, which is still there, and it's pretty much on a peninsula at this point because the lake has eroded in as it's continuing to do. So... um, that was the original Chiwaki. The Nature Conservancy helped the volunteers 55 years ago start start acquiring pro- property out there. And uh, it's just gone on since.
0: Mm. So explain to our listeners what something has to be in order to be characterized properly as uh, a prairie.
1: A prairie. Oh, okay. Uh, it would be the, um, the, the plant material. It, there would be... By definition, almost no trees. Uh, This particular prairie is a combination of wet mesic prairie. Uh, It is a wetland of international importance, actually, or part of it that extends from Kenosha all the way to Waukegan. And it is a lake plain prairie, which means it was created by the uh, recession of Lake Michigan. And actually, we're the oldest garden on the tour because the plant material is about 4,000 years old. (laughs) Wow,
0: okay. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. So when one walks uh, the prairie, and it's been a long, long time, I'm sad to say, since I've had the chance to do that, um, what are the kinds of things that one sees? What what sorts
1: of plants? Well, over 400 species of native plants (laughs) are there. It is the richest prairie in Wisconsin. Um, and you're going to see different things bloom. In, in uh, most gardens in the city or gardens that are on the walk, the plants will bloom very um, for a long time. So you get the color and in groups for a long time. In the prairie, things are all mixed up. They mm. sorted themselves out based on the soil, the water conditions, and, and other factors. And, and so you're going to see different things from week to week. You see different things in the prairie. A month ago, you saw huge patches of lupin blooming they were gorgeous Mm. Um, these days if you go drive through the prairie you're going to see a lot of the um, spiderwort Uh, and and it's it just dots blue all over the prairie and if you walk through the prairie you will be dotted blue (laughs)
2: Um,
1: because the petals melt every day the one that bloomed is now melting and it gets on anyhow Mm. Uh, (laughs) so it, it continuously changes from week to week and and in any one area, if you were to stand in any one area, mark out a 10-foot square, there would be just any number of species, some of which would be blooming now, some of which will bloom later. So it's it's a real uh, mixed-up thing, not, not at all like uh, plots
2: of flowers here and there.
0: Right. And, of course, what you're describing it has its own wonderful beauty, and there's plenty oh. of people where that's their favorite kind of oh. beauty.
1: Yes, right. I well, it's, yeah, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. It is an ecological jewel, and yeah. anyone who takes the time to walk through it and enjoy it will quickly realize that.
0: Right. Speaking of time, I know that one of the uh, one of the most important things that happens with the many volunteers with Shawaki Prairie uh, is the uh, the idea of attacking. Invasive species. <laughs> uh, what kind of an issue is that at Chiwaki Prairie?
1: It's a continuing issue, and we wind up with uh, new ones as time goes on. They come in from the railroad, they come in from mowers along the roadside, and and it's continuous. Um, we have been fortunate enough to be part of the Lake Plain Partners from. Uh, Lake County Forest Preserve District, Illinois IDNR, RDNR. We have gotten several federal grants, and some of those have been used to help uh, control buckthorn, which is uh, a brush species, uh, shrub that, that comes in and takes over areas in the prairie, and also the the um, forbs that come in in the, in the growing season. So it could be reed canary grass. It, it could be hairy willow herb or loose strife or... Uh, garlic mustard or you know there are lots of them and right now we have a group of youth conservation corps uh, young people who are helping us combat common saint john's wort, which is uh, in the summer a very serious invasive species
0: hmm. so th- that is a ongoing
1: work ongoing that, uh, yes and every uh, month we do every every third saturday we have a volunteer day anybody interested just check our website Shiwaukee.org.
0: right and uh and uh, the 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 work goes on and that's part of what allows chiwaki prairie to be as beautiful as it is that's so true. logistically how does this plug into the tour linda i mean uh what do people in in what way do they get to visit chiwaki prairie on this tour
2: well they are very conveniently located uh are the uh uh, the, the, the booth, the display area that they're setting up as part of the tour um, is right between two of the uh, of the homes on the tour. So uh, as uh, as you're traveling on Lakeshore Drive to get to from uh, from one home to to the next um, it's a very convenient stop along the way. Uh, as, as with the uh, tour in general, it's self-guided. You've got you know whatever time you choose to spend at a home, every home, a select number of homes, and the prairie uh, it's it's all on your own timetable. Mm-hmm. But convenience-wise, we got that covered.
0: Absolutely, that's absolutely fantastic. So, Chihuahue Prairie has a special bonus garden on this year's Secret Garden Walk. Let's talk uh, quickly about the other gardens that are on the tour. And my, as I'm reading through the booklet, my eyes lit up uh, to read about the uh, the garden of Chris and Randy Rich and the fact that uh, their garden will include vegetables. Absolutely, and and, and that we don't always have vegetable gardens on the tour.
2: No, you're you're right. Um, This is uh, this is actually this garden has a little bit of everything, Um, but they do have extensive uh, vegetable gardens in raised beds. And it's uh, uh, something that they've been been maintaining for years and developing along the way. And she makes comment in, uh, in the, the write-up in the book here that they've, they now, they, they not only feed their family, but they feed their friends. And their friends, families, and <laughs> as as with vegetables, and it's not just zucchini. Um, there's always there's always plenty to to share. So there's um, a real bounty there. But and it's it's not exclusively a a vegetable garden. I I don't know what what kind of uh, space exactly, but there's probably at least an acre that we're talking about here.
0: Very good. Okay. It looks like the next garden is one of those that. Uh, is immediately adjacent to Shawaki Prairie and so that's uh, uh, one of the gardens that makes this uh, partnership uh, this, make sense
2: This it's it's a lovely garden um, kind of in the cottage garden style but here it is uh, sandwiched between the lake to the east and the prairie to the west so uh out of out of that space, uh, this gardener has uh, has managed to battle back the lake that mm. we, we know wants to wants to uh, intrude, and the prairie which um, Mother Nature seems to want to you know periodically reclaim. Um, so, in the midst of that is is a lovely cart- cottage garden. So there is this duality of um, dealing with what nature. Hands you and the adjustments that you choose to make to it. Absolutely, but it, it's a uh, it's a lovely garden that again offers a little bit of everything. There's no vegetables at that location. Mm.
0: the but, The next garden uh, talks about how things change as they expand, and how they've actually even had to work at gr- growing vertically, not just horizontally. And I love that uh, that sense of what they call whimsy and imagination that has gone into this particular garden?
2: This is very much a, a, a family-oriented space. Uh, they, uh, they, they, they love the plantings, they love the, the color, they love the, uh, uh, the, the, all the planted areas that they have, uh, but they also have children and uh family events and a lot of uh, their activities center around around kids and the pool and and that sort of thing and like you said um they've gone vertical the uh this is the one i mentioned or the gentleman there has uh has done some major construction uh creating oh i've Okay, taking a guess now. I would say there were at least eight, possibly ten foot columns with planters on top of the columns. Wow! <laughs> which makes a lovely display, but you still got to water those planters. Mm. He has also devised a watering system that that waters those planters automatically, That's without cool. you know getting on a ladder and carrying up a, a watering can. <laughs> um, so there's. Um, uh, there's some things that he has done with the with the hardscape and the and the layout of the garden to accommodate family and and activities and and then uh, and then he's taken it one step further and and uh, kind of created his his own uh, uh i don't know his can call it a science experiment. We can call sort it sort of, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's great. That yeah. just
0: adds one more layer of interest to everything. Exactly. The uh, as I read about the the garden of Ruth and Tom Clark, uh, what jumped out at me is that there are actually art pieces that are incorporated uh, into this garden. That sounds really intriguing.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. Mr. Clark is very, very inventive, uh, and uh, enjoys enjoys his space um this I, I ironically, this is a garden that uh, is not quite as secret as as some of our other gardens. Uh, this is um, right on a uh, on a corner uh, off of Third Avenue and the garden can be seen from the street, but you don't want to just peek over the fence. Mm. You want to go in and explore. Right. Uh, it's not just the art pieces but, He's, um, he's kind of created a, uh, a, a, an environment that uh, um, creates kind of a hybrid between the uh, what you might expect to find in a city garden and what you might expect to find on the prairie hmm. um, with the intent of uh, making it a haven for migrating butterflies. Uh. So if you're a butterfly... Uh, make sure you stop and check out this garden. Hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's got everything that uh, that butterflies could possibly want, and that's uh, that's kind of his his latest project. I love that. I think that's absolutely great. Um, one of the gardens uh, in your booklet
0: is titled January Dreams, and the. The writer uh, talks about moving into their house in January of 2011. When, of course, there wouldn't be much of a garden in evidence, of, and one might even not have a sense of the possibilities at that point.
2: Well, gardeners are dreamers, mm. and uh, this is this is a garden that has fulfilled some of those those initial dreams. The uh, what what she was hoping for when she moved in in January. Uh, this is a this is a Mr. Clark's garden and uh, this one are probably about the same same size, uh, but a smaller garden on our tour. But this is a lady who has created uh, just a wonderland in what is a, a basic city lot. Uh, and it, it shows what can. Be accomplished with a small space, hmm. and one of those accomplishments is over a hundred varieties of roses. Wow! Which I would like to make sure our audience is aware she has meticulously labeled. Ah! So all of these different ones. <laughs> so when you walk
0: through, you'll know what you're seeing. I they think that's are, terrific. They
2: are identified, uh, and it's and it's not just the uh, the roses too uh She has also um spent time uh with lilies um uh and and has has worked to uh do some hybridizing and uh uh development of of different species when I first met her, I was impressed uh, this is this is not just a gardener this is a scientist. Mm. So
0: That's a name. Liz Dutton's garden, which is next, uh, has the headline, Beautiful Imperfection, (laughs) which she uh, says in her essay is her style of gardening. It sounds like this is quite a large garden and a a source of great delight for her.
2: This is a massive garden. This was a huge garden when she was on the tour about five years ago. Uh, Liz has since then doubled her space. Mm. What was an acre is now two acres. Uh, they have uh, they purchased the uh, uh, lot next door and in five years' time, I it it looks like you know it's she's been working this garden for twenty years mm. um, and uh, she's she's just a a, a powerhouse of energy. Um, she runs uh, does all of this and runs a daycare out of her home. Wow! So this is (laughs) this is that duality of creating space that serves multiple purposes. Wow! Uh, In this garden, there is a vegetable area. There are numerous play areas. Uh, There's, uh, but you know the plantings all tie everything together, and uh, she's uh, Liz is a is a member of the club and boy are we glad to have her. I can she, imagine. She's she speaks well for all of us. That's
0: great. Gardening at its best. And what do you want to say about the the final garden titled with this interesting title Great Bones and Hidden Treasures? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, the the story behind this one is is one of those typical um okay. Now that we've got it, what do we do with its stories? Mm. <laughs> and the uh, the ladies uh, who who own this this home have, uh, you know, spent spent years reclaiming what had been there that had been neglected after mm. a number of years. We've all been in that situation. Some of us, I'm <clears throat> embarrassed to say, have kind of created that situation. Uh-huh. But uh, they have, uh, uh, over, over the years, uncovered, uncovered treasures in their garden, both in terms of plant material and, and, a, uh, uh, and, and hardscape, and uh, have turned into gardeners. They mm. didn't necessarily arrive as gardeners, but uh, the, the garden has kind of created their, uh, their reputations, I suppose. Huh. So. I like
0: that. Well, that's a great concept. And, um, man, this is a wonderful array of gardens. I'm very, very impressed with uh, uh, with what has been put together. It looks like it's going to be uh, ex- an exceptionally lovely tour. So we want to remind people that it's this Saturday. That's the 13th of July. It happens rain or shine. right. Yep. Now it looks like it's going to be plenty of shine for you. Nothing but shine. <laughs> exactly. And uh, if people buy the tickets in advance, they're $8. Otherwise, you can buy your tickets at each of the gardens on Saturday. But then that will be... Uh, Ten Correct. And um, where are the places that people can buy tickets for this year's Secret Garden Walk?
2: It's hard to avoid a place that you can uh, buy. <laughs> uh. We have nine ticket outlets ah. uh, extending beyond Kenosha this year. Uh, I'll run through them quickly. Uh, Jack Andreas has been representing us for many years. Uh, and uh, also Sunnyside Florist and Gifts on 75th Street. Uh, the Steins location on Green Bay Road in Kenosha, the uh, a Summer's Garden florist, downtown Kenosha. We've added Suburban Garden Center uh, on the north side of town and on the opposite end of town, um, close to all of our friends down in Carroll Beach, uh, but uh, Anton's greenhouse and garden centers. So all of these are immediately in the Kenosha area. Um, We also uh, have uh, Milligers in Sturdivant, Westosha Floral in Paddock Lake, and down in Gurney, Illinois, Balmas Flowers. Wow. So we're out there. No excuses, folks. That's right. Don't tell me you can't find a ticket. (laughs) Yeah.
0: They are everywhere. Fantastic. And this, of course, is a major... Uh, fundraiser, the major fundraiser for the Four Seasons Garden Club for all of the scholarships they dispense and all the other good things that they do. Pam Holy, if people want to uh, learn more about Chiwaki Prairie or perhaps become a volunteer or be of help in some way or another, uh, what would be the best way for them to uh, contact you?
1: Oh, stop by on Saturday. Ah, okay. <laughs> or um, it's 204, 102nd Street is where our, our tent and... And uh everyone will be there to answer questions and introduce people to the prairie or Shiwaki.org.
0: Excellent. Shiwkee. Yeah. And I am very embarrassed to admit that today I learned for the first time where that name comes from. Oh. That had never dawned well, on me. Oh. Chicago and Milwaukee. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I you know, in, in reading some of the literature that uh, that Pam had shared with us, uh, I I learned it too. So Wow, well I like that. So yeah. it's
0: kind of what we're all about here in the corridor. So very good. Pam Holy and Linda Guy, great to have both of you here uh, to talk about this year's Secret Garden Walk uh, from the Four Seasons Garden Club coming up again this Saturday, July 13th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Thank you for being right. part of the morning show today.
2: Well, Thank you, Greg. you very, very welcome, Greg.
0: The time is 8.40, and here is part two of today's program here on WGTD, your gateway to public radio. And to finish out today's morning show here on WGTD, we're going to be talking Shakespeare, and bloody Shakespeare, I might add. Uh, We are going to be talking about one of his most dramatic plays, Titus Andronicus. And we will be talking about it with uh, three people who are going to be helping to present this powerful play uh, to the public uh, this coming weekend. Uh, We're talking about the fleeing artists kicking off their second season and their summer Shakespeare series with performances of Titus Andronicus and uh, a little later in the summer, performances of Taming of the Shrew and the Tempest. Uh, we have with us uh, Alex Metalski, who is one of the co-founders of Fleeing Artist Theater, uh, their communications director, and uh, portraying the role of, of uh, Marcus in this production. Kenny Motley, a uh, also co-founder of Fleeing Artists Theater, president right now of the organization, and portraying the role of Aaron. And uh, finally, uh, Denise Johnson, or Dee, portraying Lavinia in this production. She is the HR person at Fleeing Artists and their secretary. And all three of these people have been, of course, very, very busy in the final rehearsals for Titus Andronicus, which, uh, as I said, uh, opens this coming weekend, and we welcome all three of you back to the morning show.
3: Ooh, thank you Thanks for thank having you. us.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Alex, uh, mm-hmm. you and I have communicated the most directly about Fleeing Artists uh, over over the time, and sure. just remind our listeners, but very briefly, because mm-hmm. we have a lot to talk about. Right. Uh, kind of the sort of the central purpose of of why Fleeing Artists was created.
3: Sure, the reason we exist is to create theater in Kenosha for Kenosha and to spread uh, as much artistry as we can throughout our community.
0: And uh, Kenny, uh, has this all unfolded the way you uh, envisioned as one of the co-founders?
3: Uh, yeah,
4: I think I really enjoyed how everything turned out. It was a lot of um, you know turmoil and stuff at the beginning, but you know, we all buckled down you know, strapped the boots on and you know, got through it and I think we're putting out some great great art right now in Kenosha
0: It's probably one of those things where uh, in the abstract it means one thing to create a, a, a theater company, it's another sure. thing to actually make it
3: happen and to take care of all the details and sure. yeah. put stuff on the stage mm-hmm. yeah. Sure, it's creating art which in and of itself is a challenge and it's Building a company, a business, which in of itself is a different sort of challenge.
0: Right. So I'm trying to remember, did you do Shakespeare last summer? Sure. Oh. Uh,
3: summer Shakespeare. This year's our sixth year. Last year we did Medea, which was not Shakespeare. It was Greek. It was our first Greek. And we did Twelfth Night, a comedy.
0: Right. There we go. So this year, Titus Andronicus, tell us about uh, the choice to do this particular play given the fact that it is so incredibly violent, probably the most violent of, of sure. any of Shakespeare's yes. many plays. Yes,
3: uh, it's. I believe it's the play that has the highest body count or certainly one of the highest body counts. Uh, a big reason we chose to do this is many of our uh, board members and many of our staff are highly passionate about the show, but also it's subject matter about revenge, about uh the lack of female voice in a male society really mm-hmm. speaks to today's climate, uh, politically, socially, et cetera.
0: Wow! Did you have any hesitancy about doing this? I mean, even though it is timely and powerful and so on, but the fact remains, as you just said, it's mm-hmm. really a blood-drenched story. Right. And uh, you know, I should think that facet of it probably gave you at least a little bit of pause. Oh, sure, of, sure. Yeah. Uh,
3: we wanted to make sure that we uh, could do the show and the subject matter justice, uh, but we also uh, kept in mind that not everyone in Kenosha likes blood and guts, uh, so we also chose to do Taming of the Shrew, something much more lighthearted, mm. at least in most people's minds. Right.
0: <laughs> um, give, give our listeners uh, at least the... the uh, basic framework of this plot and some sense of why there is so much violence in it, nearly from start to finish.
3: Well, uh, it's a revenge tragedy. So essentially... All of the characters, protagonists, antagonists, heroes, and villains all engage in revenge. Titus, a military general, returns home to Rome after 10 years of war with the Goths. He brings with him some prisoners, including the Queen of the Goths, and in a very bloody ceremony right at the out of the gate, kills the eldest son of the Queen of the Goths just to, sataf- to appease the gods. This enrages Tamara, understandably, and she plots with her surviving son's revenge on the Andronikai family. Mm. And for the most part, succeeds, which causes the Andronikai then to engage in revenge, and it's a never-ending cycle, as yeah. revenge often is.
0: <laughs> Let's hear from uh, uh, D. Johnson, who is portraying a, a really important character in all of this, and someone who, in a sense, bears some of the most serious brunt of this lust for revenge. Uh, tell us who you are in the story.
5: Um, I play Lavinia, which is... Um, she's the daughter of Titus Andronicus. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that happens to her. I don't know if I'm allowed to say what happened. Yeah, uh, yeah, you
3: know, just a Cliff Notes
5: version. Spoiler alert. Um, so she gets her hands and her tongue cut out after being ravished. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she later on kind of gets her version of well, justice and her opinion um, with what happens to the people who do it to her. Wow.
0: Yeah, so it's some of the most awful things that occur in this play uh, occur to your character yes. of Lavinia. We'll talk in a moment about just the challenge of portraying such events or such horror on, on the stage. Kenny, who are you portraying?
4: Um, I'm Aaron. I'm pretty much the person who plots all of this. <laughs> so I'm like I'm like the the villain of the show. Um, I'm the one who who plots to you know get Lavinia, you know, ravished and her hands cut out and her tongue cut out and and I'm the one who, you know, plots against the Andronica fa- family and against Rome. And against the Goths, as well, really, like he plots against everybody, everyone in the play, and really really doesn't explain exactly why he does it, but you can kind of get the feeling with his words why he does what he does
0: and and who is he exactly I mean who is he related he, to or
4: yeah, okay, so um he. Gips it gets um captured with the goths that mm. Titus brings in um he's kind of he's kind of a a eyepiece for Tamara kind of uh, her lover mm. you know on the side thing
0: so she has especially this burning desire for revenge and he is the one who helps yes plot it and yes, and, and, and carry it out he's
4: a very very smart very manipulative you
3: know very selfish person.
0: Interesting. And Alex, who are you?
3: Uh, I play Marcus, who is the brother of Titus, the younger brother, non-military. He's, he's basically the equivalent of a Speaker of the House or the Majority Leader in the mm. Senate. Okay. Very powerful, but not emperor.
0: Right. So uh, this would maybe be a question best put to... Uh, uh um uh, Brianna Duffy who is directing this production but I'll 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 ask the three of you whoever wants to uh respond um does all of this violence and mayhem occur off stage and then is it talked about or is any of it actually on stage and uh to what extent does it pose a a challenge to convey or portray sure events such, like, such as this?
3: Well, uh, one of the tenets of theater is spectacle, and try, and especially with a show like this, is trying to portray as much of it on stage as possible. Given uh, the level of blood and violence, not every single death is going to occur on stage, but we do try to show as much as possible, rather than tell.
0: Wow. So for instance, uh, Dee, in terms of the terrible things that happened to Lavinia, how do you convey that, that that she has been tortured, that these terrible things have happened to her?
5: So those things we don't show on stage. I mean we don't um, show
0: them but we see her after these have occurred to right, her, right?
5: Yeah. Um so she comes back into the scene and you can see, you know, she's got her hands cut off and um she at some point will open her mouth and it's just full of blood and so she can't speak and she can't tell anybody what happened to her. Um, and it's it's all more in my facial features, I guess, of trying to convey what I'm trying to say to people. And um, it's interesting because in one of the following scenes then you kind of get multiple characters trying to say what she's trying to say to them hmm. and nobody's getting what she's trying to say except for Marcus ironically which is her uncle um and so it's been a lot of just facial features a lot of emotion um it's a hard place to kind of get back from after I've been there so it's good to have actors that I trust to do the scenes with and to kind of follow up with everything and um it's, it's tough, but it's definitely challenging and it's fun in that sense that it is challenging for me.
0: Right. A fun challenge even if what's being talked heavy. about <laughs> is not yes. yeah, very heavy. A heavy, heavy of, challenge. Not, not very fun. <laughs> yeah. um, how experienced is the cast in terms of doing Shakespeare? Is this something that uh, all of you have done a fair amount of or by and large are, are a lot of you newcomers to Shakespeare? Sure.
4: Um, yeah I think uh I think it's a it's a lot of different um experience levels there's people who've you know only have been doing this for a year so you know they don't know Shakespeare as much and there's people like like I've been doing Shakespeare for <laughs> probably like fifteen years now wow. so like I've been doing Shakespeare for a long time so mm. I like yeah. So like it and I think it's really good to have the, that different experience levels because you, like the people who've been doing it for a while can teach people who who've been doing it for a year and even though I've been doing it for so long, I still learn things from people who' who've just picked this up mm. like I, I like I get something I'm like wow, I'd never even mm. thought to think about it like that but yes. Mm. So I think it's really great to have all that different experience levels and having a different group of people because we don't want to be we don't want it to just to be like a bunch of people who know Shakespeare very well. It's great to have people who's just like, you know, I really want to just try this out, you mm. know, and, and and getting them involved and 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 growing their passion for Shakespeare.
0: Fantastic. Who would you suggest uh, come to this in terms of ages and so on? I mean, it's, it's, it's a story that's full of terrible things, but uh, since we don't see much of that actually happen on the stage, we, it's more that we see the aftermath. So uh, do people need to be concerned about uh, who they bring to this, for instance, or do you feel like just about anyone mature enough to understand Shakespeare will be able to take this
3: in? I think as long as you are mindful of what the subject matter is about— and what your own tastes are, what your own uh, standards are, uh, I think this is certainly a show worth seeing. It's not often done, and it's certainly not often done in communities like Kenosha, one of the reasons we chose to do it. Uh, The subject matter is powerful and will speak to everybody today, even though the show is over 400 years old.
4: Wow. And I say that I wouldn't bring any children no, or anything no like that no kids no children anything like that if you if you're okay with the teenager and stuff watching things like you know pulp fiction or 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 things like that where it's just, game of thrones yeah game of thrones yes, exactly. that's 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 a perfect thing <laughs> like something like that if you're okay with your children watching something like that of course bring them down for this because this is way less you know the game of thrones and things like that and they'll learn they'll learn something from it you know mm. they'll learn how to spot evil yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah there's,
0: a, there's a fair amount of evil in this <laughs> yeah. show that's for sure uh, d how large a cast are we talking about
5: uh 20 people 20 people i think yeah amounts. and then we have like a like crew of like five about five people so yeah, about, 25 about 25 involved 25 in this people, one give or take Wow, big.
0: so it's a big show and in a lot of different ways. So, mm-hmm. so this is uh, Titus Andronicus. It's going to be done uh, at the uh, Rody Opera House in downtown Kenosha. It opens on the twelfth and runs through the twenty-first. So we're talking about uh, evenings at seven thirty, and a, a couple of matinees. Those would be the s- Sundays. The Sundays will be uh, at two o'clock. So Friday night, Saturday nights, and Sunday afternoons. Uh, at the Rhodey Opera House, this Shakespeare uh, play called Titus Andronicus, blood-drenched and incredibly dramatic. And and it's a rare opportunity to uh, see this uh, particular Shakespeare show. And then I know that you are uh, also excited about a couple of things that come uh, right thereafter. Uh, first of all, Alex, you've already mentioned a much lighter show, really fun show, <laughs> Taming of the Shrew, yes. which is uh, going to be done. And do I remember that's in the open air, an open it air is. production? It's our
3: outdoor, one of the uh, tenants of uh, Summer Shakespeare is performing free shows for the public. And this year we're performing our lighthearted comedy taming of the shrew it's the original battle of the sexes essentially
0: mm-hmm. and are uh all of you on stage for that as well
4: uh it hasn't had auditions yet oh so, okay but yeah so auditions are coming soon and next then week. yeah yep. next week um we have auditions and then and then we'll see who's in that cast. gotcha <laughs> very good very good yeah so
0: and then after that alex tell our listeners about the pro- Performances of Shakespeare's *The Tempest* and the the uh, unlikely uh, setting for those performances coming up in August.
3: Sure, uh, this show. No, originally we were planning on doing two shows, *Titus* and *Taming*, but by a happenstance, uh, Captain Andrew of Tall Ships uh, reached out to us and asked if we were interested in putting on a show. And uh, despite how busy we all are and how crazy it is, we. Uh, decided to put on Shakespeare's The Tempest on the Red Witch on one of the tall ships, one of the boats in Kenosha Harbor. And that will be performing all of August and the first week of September, Tuesdays in Racine, Thursdays in Kenosha. Wow. Yeah.
0: So it's maybe a little premature to even know the answer to this, but— where on that tall ship will this performance take place? And All logistically, how's that <laughs> going to work?
3: All of it. Uh, it's a, So for those who don't know, just imagine a classic wooden ship about 60 feet long. Uh, we'll be performing on the, on the starboard, on port, on stern. I don't know nautical terms yet. i still got to learn that. <laughs> but uh, we'll be performing throughout the entire ship. The audience will be uh, at hand also on, on top. And it will just be five actors playing all the parts, navigating uh, the dangerous waters, as it were, of Lake Michigan. Wow.
0: Yeah. Very, very intriguing. So Shakespeare's Tempest coming up mm-hmm. uh, in August, yep. uh, as is also Taming of the Shrew, but more at hand uh, opening uh, this, this Friday night, will be Titus Andronicus, uh, uh, Shakespeare's uh, most violent play, uh, performances this coming weekend and the following weekend at the Rhodey Opera House in in uh, downtown Kenosha. I imagine that when you walk out of a rehearsal, you must feel drained in a way that isn't always the case when one does Shakespeare. What kind of ordeal uh, or, or gauntlet has this been for you as members of the cast?
4: <laughs> I think the heat is really... <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, it's, we uh, sweat a lot. Yeah, yeah, we sweat a lot. No, um, I think it's... Um, to go into these to these really dark places and and just mentally is draining. but um, I think that's why we all have each other and we're all like we all hang out with each other afterwards we all talk, we all joke, we try to make everything a light situation. Um, but, you know, when things are serious and we're doing things up there that is very serious, of course, we take it very serious. But um, afterwards, we make sure, you know, hug each other, love each other, make mm. sure, you know, I, I really don't think bad about you. <laughs> I know I've done some horrible things at this play to you, yeah. but I want you to know that I love you and, like, stuff like that, that reinsurance and, you know, that compassion for each other, I think really helps this not be so bad but it's 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 a bloody it's a bloody situation
0: (laughs) to say the least well (laughs) it's a rare opportunity uh, for people to experience this powerful play by Shakespeare again Titus Andronicus at the Rhodey Opera House uh, this weekend and the following weekend I know you have a Facebook page where people can get a lot of that information otherwise a website or yep
3: www.fleeingartists.com Org.
0: Very good. Alex Matalski Kenny Motley, uh, Denise Johnson, uh, all part of this cast for Titus Andronicus. Thank you for being part of the morning show today. Best wishes to you and all of your castmates. Oh,
3: thank you, thank so, you so, so, so much. <laughs>